Hey guys, welcome to the Grow Podcast. We're so happy you're here. I'm Ashley, your host of the Grain segment of the podcast brought to you by the Landis Grow Solution Center. Today we have a special report covering our crop tour results with a handful of our account leads throughout the company. As we talk through our results, we'll be dividing our podcast into four different regions, Northeast, Northwest, Southeast, and Southwest. Okay, to kick this off, Reese Strength will be joining us. Reese is one of three merchandisers here at Landis and plays a big role in our crop tour every year. I wanna start by thanking you for the back-end work and the calculations that you do for this crop tour. Um, it's a ton of time and extra hours that you put in as you calculate some of this data, um, but I really think it's a valuable piece of information that we provide to our customers year after year. So Reese, tell us what you do for Landis. Yeah, thanks for having me. I've been merchandising with Landis for five years now, um, two as an intern and then three full-time. I mainly trade corn and beans in a truck on the east side of I-35, as well as some shoreline rail stuff. So awesome. this is one of the main responsibilities I work with too, and I enjoy it every year. Perfect. Well, and caveat here, I always enjoy working with you. You are essentially my guy for merchandising. So it's always fun to talk to you and get your insight on the markets. Okay, let's jump in and talk about the history of this crop tour. So first off, how many years have we been doing this? This will be the third year of the crop tour. It kind of started one of our grain buyers four years ago, went on a private yield tour um, with one of our trading partners, Zeno Grain, uh, CGB and Zeno Grain. Uh, she came back from that in the Dakotas and thought it would be a really good idea mm -hmm. for um, Landis to do something like that. We cover so much of the state, yeah. Um, so it really provides a good perspective on the state of Iowa, the conditions of the crop in the state of Iowa. For sure. Okay, and then let's talk about what all goes into this crop tour. I want to talk just a smidge about like the procedure um, and really the involvement throughout the company because I think that's important too. Yeah, so obviously, um, like this year, we covered 30 counties, over 200 townships. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of effort, especially um, we like to do it on the same week of every year just for consistency's sake. That also follows close to our year end, so <laughs> a lot going on. So yeah, it takes a lot of volunteers, both um, from field-level folks and also higher-ups, you know, as, as well as some part-time help, too. So. Okay, well, let's go ahead and talk about some of the methodology that we do use to, you know, do some of this crop tour um, because it is the third year and we want to make sure that it's the same every single year. Sure. So we try to take a minimum of, uh, first of all, we, we look at every location um, that we have across the state. Each location is obviously in a county and then we try to narrow down some townships around that county just um, uh, for consistency of data. We try to do two samples per township a minimum of four miles between each sample, mm -hmm. um, just so we're not getting, um, you know, yield results can be so spotty. So we're trying to capture as much of the uh, variability as possible. We try to take samples at a minimum of 50 feet um, within the field, again, so we're getting a nice perspective on that field. We measure each sample uh, area based on row spacing. Uh, we try to identify the crop stage. We count the plants. Uh, for beans, we pull plants 3, 5, 7, 12, and 15, pull off all the leaves, count all the pods, uh, and then count the beans on each plant. For corn, we do the same thing, but we pull ears 7, 17, and 21, 
and then we measure ear width and ear length. Perfect. Okay. And then from your perspective, you know, as you're merchandising and working with different companies, um, in all, and in all honesty too, trying to, at the same time, we're trying to prepare for harvest, right? So a big part of your job and my job as an originator is trying to help our locations figure out what we're going to receive. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about why this is important. One, as an industry, um, you know, why is it important for us to do this? And then two, just, just as land is, right? Yeah. So the state of Iowa obviously plays a very important role in national crop production. Mm -hmm. Whether or not we have a crop um, dictates a lot of trade flows throughout the year. So first and foremost, you know, a lot of folks that we trade with, whether they be in the Southwest, Mexico, the U.S. Gulf, the U.S. Pacific Northwest for exports, they're very interested in how the crop looks. I mean, those, those folks aside, even, you know, just local ethanol plants we deal with. Yeah. They're very interested in this data as well, just because it's going to impact, you know, probably the price of grain, or at least it'll give some insight into the price of grain for the upcoming year. Mm -hmm. So it's very important, not only to us in that aspect to realize what we have, but also to our trading partners. As far as, you know, what we use it for, really, I'm pretty passionate about this data because it really helps us dive deeper into a location by location, what's our harvest tape going to be? Yeah. Um, how do we prepare ourselves for what the crop is around our locations? And how do we best service the farmer due to those crop conditions? So um, without this data, we'd be a lot blinder as to what um, our local productions are and um, what's going to be expected of us for the fall. Yeah, and I think that's really easy for you to be like, this data is important because it helps us prepare for harvest, but I think like, let's just give a little smidge deeper into, you know, what we do to prepare for harvest. So let's talk about specifically one place that, you know, is very busy during harvest as we think about Brit. Okay. So let's talk about all the beans that we have to figure out, you know, are we going to have a huge bean crop? That means that we've got to have excess trucks, maybe some rail. So dive into that just a smidge for us. Yeah. So Brit's a good example. Um, Definitely one of our better elevators, definitely very fast um, at harvest in particular, and we're able to service the farmer very well, but um, not as much space there as like, let's say Landis Rake. Mm -hmm. So because it's so fast and because Steve and the gang and yourself do such a good job up there, it is important that we know what's coming because chances are we're going to have to transfer something out to yeah. keep the farmer going. So in years, especially when there's, a large uh, soybean crop, which it does kind of feel like there's one of those coming at us again this fall. Crop tour data helps us determine, okay, last year we dumped X amount of bushels. Crop tour told us that this was our yield estimate. This year, yield estimate is about the same. We can probably expect um, the same amount of soybeans, if not more, to be dumped at Brit this fall. That probably means we need to move as many beans somewhere this year as we did last year. So the next step in that is identifying how many beans we need to move, work with our logistics team, figure out how many trucks that's going to take, and then the job of the merchandiser is to determine, well, where does the market want those beans? Mm -hmm. Sometimes the processor wants them. Sometimes it makes the most sense to take them to a landis location that has more space than what they're going to dump. Uh, for a good example, that would be rake. So yet to, to be determined this year, but um, yeah. 
certainly a lot smarter because of the crop tour. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. I mean, I think it, you know, provides some more insight on why we do do this. So for our listeners, um, as I mentioned earlier, we are going to start diving into our four different quadrants um, of the crop tour. So sit back and listen to what our account managers and account leads have to offer on what was found this year in our crop tour. All right, we're going to kick this off starting in the Northeast with our guest, John Boss. John, give us a quick background on the area that you cover. Hi, everyone. John Boss here. I work in the Dykeman Hartford areas for Landis, um, mainly cover that. Highway 20 corridor up to Highway 3 in Butler, Grundy counties, kind of that Highway 14 corridor over to maybe 63 sometimes. So that big square right in uh, Butler, Grundy, a little bit in the Blackhawk, um, maybe just the edge of Franklin counties. Okay, awesome. Well, let's go ahead and dive into the results. Tell us what you've got. Looking at the corn here, um, just from the samples I took, I was I was very impressed with our corn um, samples, a lot better than the previous year, and we ended up having a better yields than what the results did last year. Um, mainly looking at Butler County, soils get really variable, mm-hmm. but we've been getting the right amount of moisture, the right amount of rain, right amount of rainfall throughout the year when it was needed to keep that corn moving along. We just had the right growing conditions, cool, cool nice during grain fill to really keep that corn uh, reaching its full potential. Mm-hmm. All right, so you tell me where you want to start here. Well, I guess maybe we could start in the, the southern corner here, Grundy Blackhawk counties. Looking at Grundy, I was maybe just a little surprised at the 175 that came back, but I do, looking back, living in that area, they maybe missed a couple bigger rainfalls that mm-hmm. um, maybe the northern Franklin, Butler, Broomer counties caught. But I do think throughout harvest that that number may raise itself um, just from walking fields that I have. Blackhawk County now, we only had four samples taken there. Same with Bremer, came in at 227 as an average, especially in parts of Blackhawk County, there were a couple of hill events that came in. So okay. some of those numbers with more results may shrink just a little bit. Well, these are all good things, I think, for our listeners to, you know, just for you to ad lib in, right? Because for me, I live in Southern Iowa and mm-hmm. I used to cover some of this trade area, but I wouldn't know those things. So I think that's really good insight. Then moving to Butler County, we had a lot of samples there, move a lot of grain there, uh, 30 samples taken. I think that 220 is gonna be pretty accurate for what we see. Um, of course, in Butler County, we have a lot of different soil types that we work with. So there's gonna be areas that are lower, areas that are higher, mm-hmm. but as a that's a good representative of what I think is out there in the corn right now. Moving north, again, a little bit more unfamiliar in the Florida, Florida and Chickasaw County, but I know uh, talking to a couple guys up there, they've they've gotten the rainfall right when they needed. So even with the later planting date from the wet spring, it's uh, I think we're going to be right there and be impressed by some of the corn yields we'll see again. Moving further west into Franklin and Wright counties, a little bit more familiar with Franklin, but I do know right in that Highway 65 corridor, starting to work more towards Highway 20, it does. It did start to get a little drier um, throughout the summer. They missed a couple of those late June, July rainfalls that maybe the eastern part of this business unit saw. But as a whole, I think the crop crop's still going to be there because they've gotten some rains as of late during grain fill. I guess moving farther north and west into Hancock, Winnebago, Kasuth, and Faribault counties, I'm 
a little bit unfamiliar with those, so I don't know if you have any insight on that, Ashley, maybe covering that area yeah. with grain from the past. But. Yeah, you bet. So this used to be my trade area for really the last three years. Um, so this area has typically been really good corn country, right? Um, and last year we saw phenomenal yields, but this year again, you know, every time I talk to family and friends from back in that area or a lot of my growers that I still communicate with, it just sounds like, man, it's gonna be really awesome. Um, I feel like the customers up there don't even want to tell me what they're thinking for yields <laughs> as the grain girl, right? They're mm -hmm. like, we don't want to fully prepare you <laughs> for that experience yet. But I mean, definitely, I would say corn is going to be phenomenal. So it looks like our results came in here. Um, Winnebago at 215, Hancock County at 218. Um, and then maybe for those of you unfamiliar, we have a facility in Rake, which um, leads us to acquire a handful of Minnesota customers. So we wanted to dive into Minnesota as well. Um, so we actually cover Fairbolt County, Minnesota, Minnesota um, and that came in at 217 and then Kasuth County at 208. So um, again, phenomenal yields, I think, come in here for um, that area. They had a ton of timely rains. All right, well, let's move on to the soybeans. Looking at the soybeans, you know, as a whole, in the industry, they're just a little bit harder to maybe pinpoint and get an yeah. idea. Um, seemed like last year we were we were all pleasantly surprised after looking at our crop tour results mm -hmm. and actually what came out of the field. I think that had to do with some of the August rains we received after the crop tour. And then again, I know a handful of these counties are getting the same rains right now, um, even after a week of taking these samples. So. Yeah, well, let's talk quick. I mean, let's take kind of a pause from the results just because you are our first guest on this. And so I yeah. want to make sure, um, you know, I'm a grain girl with a little bit of an agri ag agronomy background, um, but maybe our listeners don't know why August is important for soybeans. So let's cover that real quick. Um, just because I was listening to this, I might be like, why does August matter, right? So why is August important for, for beans? August is really important for soybeans, mainly because they're the first, even the first week, week and a half of August, they're still um, growing up. So when I say that, they're still putting nodes on. Each time you put a node in the soybean has a potential to produce a pod. Mm -hmm. Now, at the bottom of the soybean plant, it's having developing seeds and expanding those pods, and the, the seeds are reaching their full size, per se. Mm -hmm. um, but throughout the plant, they're going to be filling, filling with seeds and putting on test weight throughout the whole month of August, clear up to the final node. So getting those timely rains throughout the whole month of August is going to put those final pods on the final nodes until they stop growing upward. And then it's also going to allow those to reach um, their maximum potential by getting the adequate moisture they need. Um, so a lot of times if you, if you get timely August rains, you're going to see a big cluster of pods up on top of the plant versus if you don't, um, you may not see any, any clusters at all. And samples that I took from the timely rains, I did see quite a bit of three pod, even some four pod soybeans up top. So I know, okay. know that's going to be added into the final yield calculation quite heavily. Good, good. Well, thank you. I, I think that's important as we kind of move into this. So go ahead and, and start wherever you'd like here. So I'll probably start in the same area that I started for the, the corn there in Grundy, Blackhawk, Butler, Bremer counties. I'm looking at Grundy, I guess an average of 56 bushels an acre, Blackhawk 60, Bremer 53, Butler 61. Looking at those, I think that maybe maybe just a little tad lower than what we may see in the field, mm -hmm. but then again, the soybeans are hard to get a good firm arm as far as a yield um, yeah. yield guess. I do know, especially like I mentioned before, it was really hot and dry 
the last two weeks of July and first week of August. Mm-hmm. And that was Grundy, Butler, Bramer, Blackhawk, Franklin counties. When I was counting pods, I could tell there were a few aborted okay. in the middle of the, the soybean plant. And some of the threes maybe changed to twos. So I do think we maybe lost some of our top top end um, during those few weeks when it was 100 degrees and dry. But I, I do know uh, there is potential out there yet. Another thing that may hinder the bean yields a little bit compared to last year is we got to think of back when we started planting, most of these beans were planted two to three weeks behind of what they were mm-hmm. back in 2021. And any more to get big yields in soybeans, you need to get those planted in April yeah. so they can start flowering before the 21st of June. Okay. Uh, and I, I didn't see many flowers before the 21st of June. Gotcha. So come, then again, Franklin at 55, Florida 48, which was an acre, Chickasaw 56. I think we'll be all right there. And in those counties, especially, you know, Butler, Floyd, Chickasaw, Franklin, soil types do get a little lighter. Okay. I know just working in my immediate area in Butler County in New Hartford, people have seen some pretty low yields before just right. when it gets dry. Um, so then again, I think that's about average. And I think if we do get more than 55, we'll be happy with it. So. Okay, then again, I can kind of speak a little bit to that, you know, northern corridor that goes up into Minnesota. I mean, I really, truly think that we are going to have a really good bean yield. Um, As I mentioned before, these guys um, grow a lot of corn on corn um, in your area, too. But I know um, that this year was a pretty big switch just with commodity prices. We moved a lot of the corn on corn acres to beans this year. So there are a lot of beans in Hancock County, Winnebago, Kassuth, it feels like. Um, and guys are excited because typically after how many years of corn on corn, beans go really well. <laughs> um, so one, they look phenomenal. They're, you know, a really bushy plant. Um, but two, just with all that corn on corn fertility, it feels like it's going to be a good, good bean year. Um, so as we look at the results, Hancock County came in at 51, Winnebago 64, and Kassuth 63. And then lastly, again, looking at that Fairbolt, Minnesota County, um, looking at 46. Okay, John, any last comments you want to add specific to your trade area before you go ahead and wrap up your portion? All I'd like to add is I'm, I'm excited to see the combine start rolling. Yeah. It's, uh, we're recording this, I guess it's September 1st right now, so usually that last week of September, about 25, 30 days, we'll probably start seeing combines rolling on some soybeans and early corn if, uh, if we can get it to dry down. But I'm excited. I think we got a lot of potential out there yet. We're still... You're still packing our test weight and yield as we speak, so it's going to be excited for our, our customers. I'm excited for our grain elevators, and I'm excited to see some success out in the field. Yeah, the anticipation is high this time of year, for sure. Well, I just want to thank you for coming on and, and traveling into Des Moines today to have our conversation. Um, I really appreciate just the insight that you provide, um, and I know that our customers will as well. So thanks for joining us, John. Thanks for having me today. All right, we are moving into the Northwest with our guest, Dave Lemke. Dave, give us a quick background on the area that you cover. So the area I cover is basically from Highway 169 on the east to Highway 71 on the west. And we run north of Highway 20 down to Highway 30. Okay. So it's a good good share of the geography. Yeah, for sure. Okay, well, let's go through the results. You start wherever you'd like to, um, and feel free to, you know, add some ad lib in there, comments of, you know, maybe why the numbers are what they are. Yeah, yeah. 
So you will see a lot of variability and it's due to our weather. All year it's been extremes. Um, we originally started out the southern part of the area was wet along with being cold. So some of their planting dates weren't what we had hoped for. As we got north, it went in the ground maybe a little sooner into cold soil, but then it began with the difference in rainfall. You know, we've got areas that are record drought. You know, we're really in our third year, so we didn't have a lot of subsoil moisture to carry us. So that's why you're gonna see some of the variability in what the yields ended up being you know, as simple as two miles where one two inch rain went through made a difference of probably 60 to 70 bushel mm -hmm. in what we're seeing, more so on the corn than on the soybeans. But, you know, the one thing that's true almost everywhere this year, the stand is complete. We didn't have issues with emergence. We didn't have brownouts. You know, we did obviously have some rooting issues. We had some corn rootworm issues as the year went on in the corn on corn, as well as some of the rotated fields with diapause. Gotcha. All right, well, you wanna start in Webster? Let's start in Webster. Okay. So our high in Webster tends to be in the southern part of the county as we go north up along the southern part of Highway 20 it has been the driest. You get into that Roblin across Moreland to Duncan areas. Those guys have had a tough go. Um, some of the fuller season corns there will be okay. They're not going to be what we had hoped originally. The stands there, there's good sized ears. We're a little worried about kernel depth. And then you have the areas that have a little sand under them or lighter soils, didn't get any moisture. Yeah, we're gonna see some 120 to 150 bushel corn there. So insurance will come into play on some fields. Seems the fuller season corns are gonna be a lot more productive this year just because we did get a little rain here the last 10 days. So not to catch up completely, but We've had in areas of two and a half to three inch rain, and that's the most they've had in about three years, according to climate, at any one time. When you get to the west, as we go further across Calhoun County um, into the SAC, up into Pocahontas, Pocahontas had really pretty decent moisture early on. It's a little variable as well, but the sweet spot in the Northwest will be when you get over into the Sac and the Ida counties as their phenomenal plant health. They really have had you know, more moisture, upwards of eight inches more than other areas of our geography. We're also encountering some tar spot in those areas in the late end here of our producing year. We're still treating some acres for tar spot. So we will be learning a lot this year. Varieties <laughs> and fungicides and management techniques are all gonna be evaluated, so. Yeah, for sure. And I think that's really good that you add that in just because 
feel like it has been a topic of discussion lately in the industry, right? It is. It is. And we don't really have all the answers yet. I think we got more questions than answers, mm -hmm. you know, because we did start with a lot of our early Triva Pro or Miravis Neo or, you know, as a planned program. And then when we knew that the conditions were right, because it's all environmental, you've got to have moisture, you've got to have, you know, a host crop, and then you've got to have, you know, the, the, disease present and we knew it was there so just yeah. when's it gonna pop up so yeah and before we move on to soybeans I mean I'm I'm historically a grain girl um, so tell me you know as you were doing these yield you, these yield checks I mean where do you feel like we're at moisture wise um, are we black layered yet are we way far away from that I mean what's your timeline thoughts here our timeline on black layer I would say we're a week to three weeks okay is going to be the variability because some of that early stuff has not black layered yet but you know our forecast with 80s and, and maybe yeah. 90s today and low humidity that's going to drive that down in a hurry for sure you know and it's what we didn't want to see we wanted that kernel to have time to fill because that's where our extra bushels would come from mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but that's kind of where we're at all right, well, let's go ahead and jump into the soybean results. So soybeans, once again, I think are going to be maybe better than what our numbers show based on the rainfall from a week ago over the 25th or so of August because the planting date on the soybeans was a little later than a year ago we did not get the size in the plant mm -hmm. that we did we're a couple nodes shorter but when you look at the potting on a lot of them i mean there's more threes than twos there's a few fours but they are a little further behind you know there were areas that were droughty and just like last year they've kind of come back to life and i'm sure farmers are going to hate me saying this, but you're probably going to have green stems and a screwed up harvest <laughs> again is my guess. Um, as far as we will have pretty good sized soybeans now on the fuller season especially. And they all look a little later now that we've had the rain than what we normally would. Even the one nines and two O's, there's very few of those starting to show yellow or senesce. But you get the drier pockets again. They're short beans, they're gonna have good spots, they're gonna have weak spots. Our averages, we're showing in the mid 40s, I think they'll be maybe a little better than that just based on the bean size. But you get on the southern tier of counties, Webster, Calhoun, and Sac, into Ida, I think they're gonna be pretty decent soybeans. No white mold to amount to anything like we saw last year in SAC and Ida. Uh, the only thing we saw early on was maybe a little more iron deficiency chlorosis in some of the soybeans. That's gone away. But the late rain again is going to be a godsend. Awesome. Well, you want to start in Webster again? Sure. Okay. Webster County, we called 53 bushel per acre really good even soybeans 
uh, sizable plants. They've had in the southern part a better growing season. We did have some hail come through early on and there were quite a few acres that were damaged. They're a little behind. We actually treated aphids in some here, soybean aphid, a week ago, and we thought we'd get by, but it's the replants and the regrowth beans that needed to be treated. We have some decent potential. I think there'll be some 60s, some pushing 70. Uh, as you go north up along that Highway 20 corridor, again, that's going to be the tougher area, but overall it should be a decent county average. Calhoun may be a little tougher because some of the lighter soils that we encounter, you know, soybeans are made in August, so I wouldn't be surprised that some of the heavier fields in Calhoun will approach that 65, but we're going to have some weak ones that could be an insurance settlement as well. Sack and Ida. Sack looks beautiful. Like I said earlier, white mold is not an issue like it was a year ago. Gall midge is in areas around the edge of the field, but otherwise disease-wise we're pretty clean this year. Based on all the dry weather we had, no diseases seemed to get a decent start. Before you jump in, I just want to stop because that's a word that's unfamiliar to me. Um, go ahead and give us a brief, what is gall midge? I've not heard that before. <clears throat> so gall midge is a microscopic larva okay. that a mosquito-like little fly deposits in the stem at the ground level. They overwinter in grassy areas. Mm -hmm. They're alive for about three days, may lay their eggs in a wound someplace on that plant. And the little maggots, and they're bright orange colored, and they're about a sixteenth of an inch long is all the bigger they get. But they will eat the rind around the outside of the plant and they snap. So you'll find these dead plants out there and wonder what, what happened to that one, and you go find these bright orange larvae. Gotcha. And if they were a little bigger, I'd figure out how to keep them alive and use them for fish bait. Because <laughs> they're really wiggly little things. Oh, jeez. There's always something funny with you, Dave. But, but I had to ask the question. <laughs> but they are working their way from west to east. Okay. So they originated along the Missouri River, but okay. now they're as far over as Webster County. Gotcha. So it's like 65 counties now that they've identified them in. But... Yeah, it'll be one to watch because they, you know, you get over in the area where they no-till, Sac and Ida, yeah. you know, the hills, they no-till. So you got waterways, you got grass everywhere, and oh. that's where they live. And the reason that I think that's interesting to me is um, I live in cattle country now um, mm -hmm. down in Monroe County in southern Iowa, and I just think about all the grass that we have. So yeah. that yeah. will be interesting. It will, yeah. All right, so jumping back into um, your kind of results here. Uh, as you go north again, you know, we hit this area that has been really dry moving into the northwest. You know, it's kind of out of our territory, but, you know, I spend a lot of road time and you get into Cherokee County and Sioux County and those guys are really showing the effects of not having water. So. Mm -hmm. 
you know, there were some areas like Humboldt and up into Kasuth where you would see, you could tell every path that every storm took just as you drive because of the crop conditions. Mm -hmm. You know, dead corn, they're chopping silage in areas, but the same thing with soybeans. I mean, soybeans are a dry land crop, but they've got to have enough water to survive on. Yeah. You know, you try and think of traditional things that we've done with soybeans to enhance yield. And even like our plots here in Farnhamville, I don't know that we're going to see any response because everything with additional inputs to make the plant grow, produce more, is influenced by water. Everything's going to be about water this year. Gotcha. You know, I, I think we'll take a step backwards in areas with what the guys, if you want to call it progressiveness with using new products will be, mm -hmm. just because there's not going to be a big payoff. But, you know, good for the guys that had rain and the guys that didn't, they, you know, obviously be looking at insurance or, yeah. you know, changing some practices possibly. But as far as, you know, what our results are, I think we're going to see corresponding yields will maybe be better than what we came up with here mathematically, because I think we're going to get a really big bean out of that last rainfall. Okay. Because okay. they are not filled completely. You know, you look at the top of the plant, there were a lot of little less than a sixteenth of an inch soybeans that will fill yet because they're totally green and healthy. Gotcha. Well, I mean, this is all good to hear. And I think, you know, one thing that I hope, you know, our listeners are really getting today is uh, variability, right? Yeah. Just in your yeah. area, just in John's area that we talked to earlier. Um, I mean, there's a ton of variability. Yeah. Well, anything else that you want to add specific to kind of the area that you cover before we wrap up here? We want to put a plug in for September 20th. We are going to have a field day at okay. Farnhamville. Awesome. And hopefully we can share a few ideas with our growers and, and in-field viewing of, of those results. You know, we have had in the past, you know, introduction of new products kind of things, but it's more about the concept, not individual products, because the marketplace is full of products. Mm -hmm. It's concepts, timing is what we're working on to try and enhance that yield. You know, obviously with the fertilizer situation in the world, everybody wants to be as efficient as what we can be. So the biological products, the root growth, stimulants, all of those will become valuable to help utilize what we have available in the soil and, you know, still keep bringing up production. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that I've learned over the many years I've done this is that you never see that big bang like a farmer wants to see in yield. It's three or four little things that add three or four bushel each that might have, you know, a stimulation to the others and you see 20 bushel. Yeah. That's what we've got to look for. 
costs keep going up, land costs keep going up, we've got to keep growing more in order to keep up with the times, and that's what we're looking for. Awesome. Well, Dave, I really appreciate your insight on here. You always provide just a wealth of knowledge whenever you're a guest on the podcast. I'm just the old guy that's, <laughs> that's seen a lot of stuff. Well, uh, we need people like you in the industry teaching those of us who are younger, yeah. you know, how to move and how to groove. So I appreciate you covering our this results for us in the Northwest, and thanks for joining. You bet. Next up is the Southeast, and our guest is Nate Meyer. Nate, go ahead and give us a quick, quick background on the area that you cover. Um, so I'm based out of Boone. So um, my area is going to cover Boone County, west part of Story County, um, northwest Polk, probably north, uh, north part of Dallas County. So that's that would be my uh, geography there. Okay, perfect. Well, let's go ahead and dive into the results, starting with corn. Mm -hmm. So, um, as we look at corn, um, specifically, let's start with Boone County. The biggest thing that I see, uh, a 189 average, I think that's pretty respectable. The other thing that you're going to see when you look at our low and the high, you're going to see 147 to 254, so a large amount of variability. And I contribute a lot of that due to, you know, our planting conditions. Mm -hmm. um, it is one big area. Um, when it was planted, um, conditions it was planted in. There's been a lot of stuff in between that um, that you're going to see based on weather patterns, weather conditions from ponded areas, you know, that we've got a large amount of uh, nitrogen loss to areas that we've had green snap. So we've got upwards of possibly even 20% green snap. Okay. Um, so we got population reduction, things like that. So I think that's going to be a big, uh, big thing as we look towards harvest. Compared to last year, you know, you're you're sitting pretty consistent across the field. This year, you're going to see some phenomenal yields, but you're also going to you're going to go through them areas where we're going to struggle. So mm -hmm. that that's a lot in Boone. Um, I think you're going to see the green snap thing as you get maybe south um, into Dallas County and uh, and west a little bit, getting closer to green. I think you're going to see that green snap thing be a bigger play than you will when you get into Boone and northeast. But uh, that's that's kind of what I. Um, see on the corn side of it when I look through these. Okay, so let's go through and, um, you know, we've talked a lot about you, the county specifically to what you cover, but give us kind of a, a brief synopsis of the numbers that we found for the rest of the counties in the southeast. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so as we look at this, uh, Boone obviously came in at 189. Story, um, you're looking at a 207 average. Marshall at a 212, Jasper at a 225, Polk at a 187. Dallas at a 194, and I, uh, as I look through that and have a little bit of experience in the eastern um, counties, I think that that's going to um, be pretty true as we look towards, you know, plant, like I said, planting conditions, you know, the weather conditions that they've faced, uh, rainfalls, everything. As we as we got east, they they had a little bit more rain. They didn't struggle with quite as much as that drought. Field conditions, I, I believe, were a little bit better. So as I look towards, you know, the yield the yield averages getting higher as we move to the eastern counties, I think that that's, that that's going to be pretty true. Yeah, and I think it's interesting. Um, you know, I cover the grain side of things in this territory. Um, as we look at kind of our Des Moines market is what yeah. I like to call it. You know, we've obviously got a new facility going up, and um, I think it'll be really, really interesting as some of this stuff gets combined because we're sitting right on the edge of that I-80 corridor, yep. um, and 
that area I think was very specific to kind of a line in the sand of where moisture hit and where moisture didn't. Yeah. Um, as we think about, um, you know, just how the corn looks driving to my market. Um, so I think it'll be really interesting to see what does yield. Obviously that Jasper number is in my mind, probably a little advantageous. So it'll be yeah. interesting to see if we do get that to 25 and from my customers, I certainly hope we do. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one more question for you on the grain side, um, on the corn side of things. I mean, what's your thoughts as we move in close to harvest, the anticipation's high, um, you know, corn, um, dryness, where do you think we're at? How far from black layer do you think we are? Have we even dented yet? I mean, tell me all these things, right? I'm just the grain girl. Yeah. Um, on the early stuff, uh, I think we're getting close to a black layer. Okay. Um, as we get towards you know harvest and, and what what do we expect to see moisture at? I don't think we're going to see the initial part be as dry as what we've seen in the last couple of years. We've been, I hate to say, it, but a little bit on the spoiled side uh, yeah. when we've got into uh, yeah, and some of this stuff. I mean, it wasn't hard to combine fifteen to seventeen percent corn. I mean, yeah. that was that was pretty easy. I think we're going to see and. Uh, expect moisture to be on the higher side, especially through the other side. There's a lot of there's a lot of things that can change in September. Yeah. I mean, we can have some pretty warm weeks, you know, hot, dry, windy days. It's going to really suck out some of that moisture. Mm-hmm. But I would anticipate um, I would anticipate harvest to be pushed back. Uh, you know, I, I think a week to ten days pretty easy, um, yeah. and, and I think we're going to um, see that moisture stay in there a little higher than what we've seen the last couple of years. Okay, let's go ahead and switch gears into soybeans. So I'll let you start probably with Boone again. Yeah, yep. Um, soybeans I'm a little more optimistic on. Um, and when I say that, uh, I think some of these later rains are saving some of our later planted, uh, later planted, later maturity beans. I think we're going to see maybe a little bit more top growth on some of those. Um, so I, I, I tend to have a little bit more uh, optimism on that. Uh, the other side of it is is you know, some of them ponds got replanted too. Mm-hmm. Um, are, are they going to be 50, 60 bushel beans? No. But um, some of these corn ponds that didn't get replanted, I mean, are, are absolute zeros. Yeah. Um, so I think that's going to be a big play in some of that. Still a lot of variability. And part of that early on, we've seen a lot of headlands, things we had redu- uh, reduction or reduce in population, um, that kind of struggled. Um, emergence was a little bit of a challenge. Um, so I still think we're going to see the reability, but I don't, uh, I do have, uh, I'm pretty optimistic on the bean. Okay. Well, let's go through and just kind of talk about what we found for, you know, field averages or yield averages. Excuse yeah. Me. Yep. So as you look, th- uh, look through it, uh, you know, Boone County alone had an average of 46 back to, I keep saying it, but we had a low of 28, you know, high of 64, depending on where you're at in the field. That That's what I'm talking about where we yeah. had, you know, um, a population of you know sixty to eighty thousand versus you know that one hundred twenty to one hundred forty, one hundred sixty. Um, so I think that that uh, that's going to show that um, yeah. quite a bit. But really, you know, overall, pretty pretty average down through there. Forty six, forty six, forty two. Beans are beans are a little bit of a challenge um, to try and get a, a good yield estimate on. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can go out there and you look at a bean, you think it's going to be absolutely beautiful, and uh, you know, and it, and it could. Yield seventy five percent of what you predicted on it, but yeah, for sure. Um, as I look back through, you know, some of these, at, you know, mid forties, maybe that isn't a, a a true average of what we're going to see when we hit the field. But if you start comparing that to probably our last year's um, results or you know a few years past, mm-hmm. um, put that into correlation. So 
you know, I don't know what it was last year, but I know they probably weren't 60 to 65 what we were seeing yeah. in the fields. So, um, yeah, I think that's pretty respectable. Okay, so let's go through and, um, you know, we've talked a lot about the county specifically to what you cover, but give us kind of a, a brief synopsis of the numbers that we found for the rest of the counties in the southeast. Yeah, so as we look at this, Boone uh, obviously came in at 189. Story, um, you're looking at a 207 average. Marshall at a 212, Jasper at a 225, Polk at a 187, Dallas at a 194. And I, uh, as I look through that and have a little bit of experience in the eastern um, counties, I think that that's going to um, be pretty true um, as we look towards, you know, plant, like I said, planning conditions, you know, the weather conditions that they've faced, uh, rainfalls, everything. As we, as we got east, they, they had a little bit more rain. They didn't struggle with quite as much as that drought. Field conditions, I, I believe, were a little bit better. So as I look towards, you know, the yield, the yield average is getting higher as we move to the eastern counties. I think that that's, I think that that's going to be pretty true. Yeah, and I think it's interesting. Um, you know, I cover the grain side of things in this territory. Um, as we look at kind of our Des Moines market, is what yeah. I like to call it. You know, we've obviously got a new facility going up, and um, I think it'll be really, really interesting as some of this stuff gets combined because we're sitting right on the edge of that I eighty corridor. Yep. Um, and that area I think was very specific to kind of a line in the sand of where moisture hit and where moisture didn't. Yeah. Um, as we think about, um, you know, just how the corn looks driving to my market. Um, so I think it'll be really interesting to see what does yield. Obviously that Jasper number is in my mind, probably a little advantageous. So it'll be yeah. interesting to see if we do get that 225 and for all my customers, I certainly hope we do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Nate, I just want to thank you for taking the time to come on and explain some of the results and really just share your insight, you know, specific to the customers that you work with and, and get to work with every day. So appreciate you coming on today. Absolutely. Thank you. Lastly, we have the Southwest region with our guest, Tyler Nelson. Tyler, give us a quick background on the area that you get to cover. Yeah, good morning. Uh, I am the account lead in Exira and Hamlin, uh, so kind of the big counties I work in is Audubon, Shelby, Cass, gotcha. uh, Guthrie, Adair, so. Okay, perfect. Um, all right, well, let's go ahead and jump through the results. We're, of course, going to start with corn, so I'll let you decide where you'd like to start. Yeah, so I guess uh, I can start in Audubon County. That's, that's where my main focus was, you know, and actually just in general, the biggest thing was pretty extreme volatility this year or variability, mm -hmm. you know, planting dates, you could see where the tough soil was, you know, when we were planting, we kind of drug our feet all, all spring, we were pretty cold and, you know, finally we got started and it still wasn't ideal and um, then we got rain and more cold and so it was pretty rough, um, you know, northern Ottawa County looks really good, um, they were able to catch a few more rains and like that I-80 corridor uh, south in Audubon County, you know, they missed everything. The last rain we had before, you know, August was June 14th. So there's some pretty, pretty tough areas there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like Audubon County, Northern Audubon County, I mean, 251 was the high. I think you'll see probably a lot of 180, 200 bushel corn up north. You get south and you're probably going to be down in that 140 to to 160 just because we didn't have uh, the water. Gotcha. 
Cass County, I mean, that's kind of the same. And the farther south you get, um, it, it's dry. Uh, Cass County, actually, they had a pretty bad hailstorm uh, first, second week of June, and it knocked out quite a few acres from Atlantic all the way down to Messina. Um, and if that corn, you know, if the growing spot was above the ground, I mean, it was it was a total mm-hmm. loss in spots. So that's going to hurt. Adair County dry. I mean, they're really dry. Um, then like Guthrie County, um, you know, the farther north you get up around like Baird, Yale, Bagley, they kind of started wet this spring, um, but you know they kind of, they dried out and um, they're able to catch rains in ideal times and they're going to have a pretty good crop there. I mean, I think we'll take a step back from last year. I mean, last year is one of those crops we talk about forever. You know, it mm-hmm. was just a record crop. But yeah, I mean. Uh, Ottoman County, you're probably in that 180, 200. Guthrie's probably a little better. You know, you'll have a lot of 200 bushel corn there. Adair's probably in that 180, and Cass probably 180 to 200. So, gotcha. Okay, and then do you want to talk about that kind of top tier as well? Um, yeah. Crawford, Carroll, and Green. Yeah, so uh, Green County is uh, a lot of the same as, as Guthrie. Um, you know, they were really wet. There's a lot of ponds this spring, and, you know, there's stuff that was still getting planted in June. And, you know, I think that's kind of probably going to hold them back a little bit from last year. I see we're, you know, an average at 200. And, I mean, look at the variability. I mean, 152 for the low and 249 for the high. So. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're just really going to see it in, in what type of soil you have, you know, hybrids is going to play a big, big role this year. Um, so yeah, in Carroll County, same story. I mean, Carroll was able to, you know, catch a few more rains. I think you can see that. I mean, high of 289 in a spot. I mean, uh, you know, they were catching half inch to inch rains throughout all summer. That kind of pushed yeah. them along a little farther. Um, Crawford County, I, I heard that, you know, they're a little drier, but I mean, I see there's a, there's a 261 for the high with a 197 average. So, you know, for, for that kind of ground up there, I, I think that's pretty decent for them. And, um, yeah, so I think, you know, for, in general, I mean, corn in, in the Southwest, the farther North you get, it's going to be better. And the farther South you get, you know, guys just struggle with getting water. It's the one thing we can't control, but, you know, uh, yeah, that's kind of the corner, I guess. So. Yeah, and I think, you know, we saw a similar pattern as we talked to Nate, you know, looking at um, south of I-80 is really kind of a line in there. As, you know, I've talked to customers in the southeast as well, so it's really interesting that you bring up, you know, kind of that I-80 line of water again, because truly it's um, interesting how that seems to fall. Um, one note that I wanted to, to kind of ping on is, you know, let's talk about there's a lot of guys chopping silage and have been chopping silage early, right? So, again, that's another indication of really dry, really dry year. Yeah, so, you know, like uh, down down by our new Atlantic elevator, they, they have a pretty big dairy down there. It was probably two, three weeks ago now they, they were already chopping. Which is and, crazy. I mean, that's pretty early. Yeah, and, you know, it was it was extreme variability. Uh, you know, there was, I heard, 103 bushel appraisal all the way up to 220 bushel appraisal gotcha. uh, from them. So I think you're, that's, that's going to be the main takeaway is who got water and who didn't. So. For sure. Okay, well, let's go ahead and jump into our soybean results. Why don't you go ahead and start in that same Ottoman area? Yeah, uh, so I'd say the big takeaway just up front here is, you know, this is Southwest Iowa is a lot of, at least, especially Ottoman, Guthrie, Cass, Adair. I mean, that's a lot of no-till. 
And with as big of a crop as we had last year, there was a lot of trash mm. that was left out there. And, you know, the biggest takeaway I would say down south is, you know, we had some pretty, pretty rough bean stands just because, you know, we were cold going in. It wasn't ideal. A lot of trash out there. And we just fought, fought the planters all, all spring, it seems like. But kind of the same story as, as, as the corn. I mean, up north. Uh, where they were able to catch a few rains, you know, there's anywhere from 60 to, I would say 55, 60 bushel beans in Ottoman County. You get down along the interstate again, and we were just too late on catching that, that rain that second week of August. I do, I do think some later beans there, you know, they'll, they will benefit from these rains and mm-hmm. you can see it, you know, as we were walking this, these fields last week, there were still some pods that weren't filled, but you know, now I'm getting into them this week, they're filled. So that doesn't take into account into here. The farther south you get in Ottoman and say with Cass County and Adair, I think they're just a little too dry, too long on the beans. Later beans, later maturing beans, I think we'll, you'll see the benefit more. You know, one thing we saw too, uh, a lot of spider mites down south where it was dry. There, we did spray a few fields uh, in Adair for, for spider mites. And other than that, I mean, you know, we fought a lot of white mold last year, brown stem. Uh, I haven't seen any of that really this year, so that's good to see, I guess. But getting up into to Guthrie County here on the beans, it looks like on average we had 61 bushel, low of 34, and high of 84. Yeah, just you know, down south it's a little more rough, and up north where they were able to catch rains is, is where you see a little bit better of yields. You know, get around Yale, Barrett, Bagley, up to Jefferson into Green County. Uh, you know, they were able to catch some rains where it looks pretty good. You know, there is some ponding out in Guthrie and Green from this spring. We had all that, you know, four inches in mm-hmm. matter of a couple hours. A lot of moisture. Yeah. Carroll County, uh, around Dedham, up, get up north. Uh, what are we at there? You know, 55 bushel, uh, 80 the high, 33 the low. I mean, it just kind of shows that variability again. Crawford County, kind of the same story, 22 for the low and, and 80 for the high. And I think on these lows, I mean, kind of to reiterate, I mean, some of these beans, you know, they were still filling pods. Yeah, we're, we're just a little farther behind this year than we were last year. So, I mean, I, I think the beans are going to be better than what we're, what we're showing on these, on this report, but um, I guess time to tell on that. So. Yeah, well, I think that's a good note to our listeners. You know, um, we're going to bring Reese back on and kind of dive in how, um, we figured out all of these results and what goes into these, but I think it's important to note that this crop tour is done the same time every single year. And so, um, you know, that's important as we look at data because things like this happen where we get in later or earlier. Um, but I think to really true up our results, we have to do it the same week every single year. So that's a great point that you make, you know, and we've heard from our previous guests is clearly beans are made in August. August has been pretty hot and dry, and so hopefully we'll have a little bit, um, you know, maybe more more bean fill, more pod fill um, as we move in here. Yeah, no, if I agree, and, you know, I don't even think I mentioned it on the corn, but, you know, these late rains, too, I think is really going to help with test weight, you know, even from this week or last week to this week, you know, you can just feel, you know, shallow kernels last week, and, you know, I think that that's going to help, too, so... Mm-hmm. You know, this could, we'll just have to see um, extreme variability this year. It was, uh, you know, that's the main takeaway for, yeah. for Southwest Iowa. So For sure. Okay, Tyler, what comments do you want to add specifically to your trade area before we kind of wrap up here? Anything? Uh, I guess nothing in particular. I guess the one thing, you know, I really could notice is, 
uh, you know, the, the fields that did get fungicided, on, especially on corn, I think that's really going to pay this year. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it takes those really, those real stress years to, to see that, that pay. Yeah. Um, you know, they just stayed greener longer, the, 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 the ears looked bigger. Same with beans. I mean, beans that were, uh, you know, fungicided, they, they, they look good, Pop, more pods. So I think that'll be interesting to see. So, Perfect. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, Reese, welcome back. Um, we have heard from four different account leads across our trade area here at Landis, um, giving us kind of what they found in the field um, for each of the regions. So I want to go ahead and recap the findings here back with you. And let's go ahead and start with beans and try not to laugh because I know the answer is variability, right? Right. Yeah. Um, we're going to shy away from, you know, giving any sort of yield estimate uh, for soybeans, mm-hmm. but... Well, my main comment on beans would be the pods are there. You know, on average, we've seen uh, just slightly more pods per plant this year than last year. Um, it's important to note that last year we did our crop tour before a really nice rain event uh, came through and filled those pods. Yeah. So there are, there. I believe there is a chance um, that we get back up close to what um, bean yields were in Iowa last year. There is some discrepancy with, you know, we planted them a lot earlier last year than what we did this year. So that uh, might lead us a bit lower, but the pods are there. Mm-hmm. So we'll just have to see on that. Okay. And then moving gears into corn, tell me kind of your thoughts on on the findings and um, what we've got for that side of things. Yeah. So I will kick it off up in the Northwest. This year we're calling our corn yield up there 191 bushels to the acre. Last year that number was 207. So, um, you know, just a slight uh, decrease there up in the Northwest. The Northeast, this is our uh, biggest quadrant um, in our trade area. Last year, 200. Uh, This year, we're calling it 212. Um, You know, the Southern Minnesota, North Iowa crop is as good as it's ever looked. Uh, There's been a lot of comments uh, to that point. And um, I think we're seeing that in, in the yield checks that we did as well. Down to the southeast, last year this crop was an absolute bin buster. Uh, we called it at 226 last year, which was a big number to post. This year, 202. Um, so about a 20 bushel of the acre decrease there just from our yield checks. And then the southwest, again, you know, they had a bin buster down there as well. 216, we called it last year. This year, 200 is what we're calling it. For a grand total of uh, 203 okay. for our Landis corn yield. Um, this fall. Uh, last year we called it a 206. Fun fact, uh, when we posted that number, a lot of folks thought we were pretty high, um, <laughs> but then uh, USDA, uh, our final yield in Iowa was 205. So we weren't too much, uh, we weren't too far off the USDA number. This year, uh, USDA has us again estimated at 205. Uh, I personally believe that number will land north of 200. So I think we should be pretty close again this year as well. Awesome. Well, I think, again, that's really a good testament to the work that our people do here. It's important, and it does take a lot of time, as we mentioned earlier, to do these findings. But for us to have a little bit of a maybe glance at what we're going to have and then end up that close to where the USDA really put us is it proves that this is an important practice that we do do here at Landis. For sure. We have close to 500 data points for this uh, tour. So a lot of time and effort and a lot of good data. Yeah. Well, Reese, anything you want to go ahead and add, kind of wrapping up the crop tour portion here? 
Um, you know, first and foremost, thank you to everyone who participated. Uh, again, it's a lot of work and a very busy time for us, so um, couldn't do it without all the people volunteering to go do yield checks. And um, excited uh, about harvest this year will be as empty as ever um, and ready to uh, service the grower. Yeah, well, Reese, before I let you go, I just want to get a smidge of extra knowledge from you as we move um, closer and closer to harvest day by day. This obviously is kind of a special report, but I am the the grain the grain lead on this podcast, so I can't let you leave as a merchandiser without asking you. I mean, we've got probably 20 days before combine really probably starts to move. What happens in the grain side of the business during that time as far as processors and grain movement? Yeah, so the processor is going to need corn and beans here. I mean, again, you're, you're running into a situation very similar to last year. Uh, the pipeline is very empty. A lot of bins are empty at the, at the co-op. A lot of bins are empty at the farm level, at the private elevator, and even at the processor. You know, they're looking towards their bin bottoms as well. So those first bushels off the combine are going to be expensive ones. Yeah. Uh, they're ones that uh, if you can take home and dry it quick and take, bring it to town, it's probably going to pay for the drying. And then, you know, so that's going to keep your cash bids, your basis levels firm mm -hmm. here for the next 20 to 30 days. After that, your your bids from a basis perspective are going to be purely local. Yeah. So last year, you know, in the Southwest, it's a good example. There were times we were paying 55, 50 under for corn, and it's just because everyone was getting absolutely run over with corn. Yeah. So, you know, in areas in the Southwest and Southeast, you know, maybe basis, harvest basis stays a bit firmer this year because we're not going to have the bin buster that we had last year. At least that's what the data is telling us. Uh, but in the Northeast, very well could if we have, you know, great looking crops up there um, and we finish this crop year strong, which I think it sounds like we will. The demand's there, but also, again, if the farmer can't handle it at their own bin site, if the processor can't handle it at their own bin site, we can certainly handle it. But, um, you know, if we get to a point where people are overflowed with the grain, uh, your local bids will reflect that. So the next 20, 30 days firm, after that, it's probably just based on your local yield results. Okay, Reese, and I think one important thing to touch on is though we will see harvest progress and finish up, when will we see an actual number from the USDA of, you know, what harvest actually ended up at? Yeah, so that's a good question. Though, uh, between now and harvest, there'll be a lot of private yield estimates. So we've already seen Pro Farmer that obviously had a good impact on the market. Uh, there'll be folks like Stonex, RJ O'Brien, um, you know, folks in the um, brokerage world putting out their own estimates as well here until we get to harvest. So we'll have that, but we won't get final USDA data until the new year. So it will be a while before you know we figure out how close that we got. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, the first yield reports off the combines locally, whether it be Nebraska, North Dakota, Iowa, Wisconsin, Illinois, whatever, those will start to determine the direction of the markets as combines are rolling. If they're very, very good, Ag Twitter will find out yeah. and prices will react. If they're very bad, the exact same, same will happen and prices will react. So you won't get anything official from the USDA until after the new year, but um, you know, a lot of times good local data, even on Twitter, can be very effective and impactful to the market as well. Okay. Well, anything else you want to add about kind of current market conditions or the crop tour? Um, prices are still pretty good for this time of year, seasonally. Yeah. Um, going into fall, 
very rarely in history do you see corn prices above six bucks, yeah. beans above 13. So if you're thinking about selling any grain, call your local Landis rep. Still very good prices out there. But uh, as we close the window to harvest here, I hope everyone has a bountiful and safe harvest. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Reese. I really appreciate, again, what you've done for this crop report. Well, thanks for joining us on this special edition of the podcast. Listeners, we really hope that this information helps you not only understand what harvest is potentially going to look like here in our trade area and in Iowa, but we also hope that this information helps you if you're farming, manage your crop marketing better as we approach the busy season of harvest. We wanted to also let you know that all of the report information that we covered today is linked in our show notes. So if you are a visual person and like to actually look at that, feel free to go ahead and click in our show notes, find that link and download all the information and be able to see the results there. Thanks for joining us. 